Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. My name is Scott Jennison. I'm the Acquisition Manager here at uh, Streamline Property Buyers. And um, it's fantastic. We've, we've got a returning guest and we're really excited today to, to have Eliza Owen, for the uh, Head of Research for Call Logic Australia. Welcome back. Yeah, great to be back. Thanks for having me. Oh, yes. Welcome back, Eliza. It's Melinda Jennison here, Managing Director of Streamline Property Buyers. And I will say last time we had you on the show, Eliza, was right back in August 2022. And that was on episode 118 of the Brisbane Property Podcast. So since then, we've tallied up a lot of new episodes, but not only that, the market's been through a roller coaster ride and we invited you back really to talk through some of that roller coaster with our audience because the the ride down was similar in most parts of Australia, but the ride up has showed some inconsistency, I guess you could say, in in some locations. So that's what we're going to dive into today. And um, I love data just like you do. So I do hope Scott gets some airtime today. <laughs> I, I will try and ju- I'll try and jump in occasionally, but Eliza, August twenty twenty two. It look, I I didn't think it was that long ago that we actually spoke last, but some major things have happened. Um, what are some probably big things that you've seen happen in in the industry? Uh, well, the national housing market has been extremely resilient. Uh, we saw the market bottom out from the start of rate rises to. Um, January 2020 is is when, uh, sorry 2023 is when we got the the national trough, um, and that was a decline of seven and a half percent. Now, despite the fact that through 2023 we've had another 125 basis points of uh, increase in the underlying cash rate, uh, property values started to recover. And not only did we get the start of a recovery trend, but uh, actually this month we got a full recovery in the National Home Value Index. So I think various factors between ongoing tightness in our rental markets, tightness in the labour market, uh, and the return of net overseas migration um, at, at a very rapid pace are some of the factors that have uh, supported that recovery. It's really interesting and um, you've addressed some of the main issues that have led to the unprecedented recovery that we have experienced this year. If we can revisit that short, sharp downturn in median values, you mentioned there was a 7.5% decline at a national level. We know in Brisbane median values actually declined further than that throughout the latter months of 2022. At that time, what were researchers like yourself actually thinking, you know, might result? Because that was the fastest, the shortest and the fastest downturn here in Brisbane that we had ever experienced. So what was on your mind at that time? Yeah, well, I think such a strong increase in the underlying cash rate, because this is also the shortest, sharpest um, cycle that we've seen in in rate hikes. Um, essentially, we were expecting that negative uh, or that inverse relationship to play out where the higher interest rates got, the lower property values would get. Now, as you say, the Brisbane market had a particularly short, sharp decline 
um, the market peaked in May of 2022, which is, you know, when most markets were seeing the party was over of, of the low interest rate environment and, and the cash rate started to rise. And then by January this year, um, the peak to trough decline had been 9%. But even that 9% was off the back of a really strong run-up in growth. Mm. So Brisbane home values had increased almost 50%, 50% between the onset of the pandemic and that point in May 2022 when the cash rate started to rise. So your median dwelling value equivalent was going from 521000 across the market to this peak of 760000 Um So I guess at that time, I would have expected a pretty sharp correction. You know, I, I think we, we did get a short, sharp correction, but perhaps not to the extent that we would have expected, especially through 2023 when the cash rate continued to rise. But Brisbane dwelling values made a full recovery. Mm, it's been interesting, actually. And we often talk about the impact of consumer confidence and also the impact of the mass media and how that affects the buyer confidence. And I know here in Brisbane, that's definitely the case. And we hear that through conversations with our family and our friends, uh, not necessarily those that are in the industry seeing what's happening on the ground. But when media um, highlight the catastrophic headlines of what impact increasing interest rates can have on home buyers and on investors, people panic. And I feel in Brisbane, we certainly had a lot of panic throughout the latter months of 2022. Retrospectively, looking back, it would be uh, remiss of me to say that those people that didn't follow Warren Buffett's theory of be greedy when others are fearful, those people have done extremely well because they bought when other people were scared and they were fearful and they've bought very well. And then as a result of that, they've actually locked in some strong equity gains because they bought when the market was at its lowest point. And and Eliza, the, the trick of that, I know we talk about the media. Was there anything else that you think had a big impact on that downturn? I mean, I think you're quite right in that because um, although there was that um, large uplift in fixed rate lending through the pandemic, I think because Australia's mortgage market is so um, variable historically as well, there is a lot more that rides on interest rate expectations. Yep. So I think people would have gone off the market um, as they saw the cash rate rising, not just because they were fearful of you know potentially buying something that was going to decline, but maybe also because they thought there were further falls to come. Mm. Even as we've seen the increase in the rate hiking cycle, I think a lot of the strength in the housing market has been on the speculation that, okay, the RBA must nearly be done now. Now's a, a good time to buy and take advantage of you know those lower prices. So uh, I think that expectation is a lot to do with it. I also think you know when it comes to the doom and gloom in, in reporting, because so much of the media is focused on Sydney and Melbourne, which, yep. as you alluded to, Melinda, have been softer markets through the recovery period, there's not as much focus on markets like Brisbane, Adelaide, Perth, where the capital growth trend is over 1% a month, which is huge, especially to markets that have already seen a large increase in value. Um, and the... The, the supply is still so critically low. Brisbane um, listings volumes are still around a third lower than where we would usually see them this time of year. 
And so maybe that kind of gets a little bit drowned out when we think about the, the sort of national media narrative as well. Yes, it's always interesting at a macro level when the media talks about the Australian property market, because of course, we all know being in the industry that there's not one property market, nor is there one capital city market as well. And even within the capital city market of Brisbane, there's multiple markets that all move in different directions at different times. And we've seen that play out even in the last 12 months in the unit market versus the housing market, as an example, where we've seen huge recovery in the housing market, but on a national or rather on an annual basis, units are actually still ahead in terms of capital growth. But affordability, I'd love to sort of ask what your opinion is in relation to, you know, the drive to affordable locations, because you mentioned there that in the most recent recovery, areas such as Perth, Adelaide and Brisbane have surged ahead of other less affordable locations, including Sydney and Melbourne. Do you think affordability has played its part in redirecting people's funds to those more affordable markets? Yeah, I mean, it's all relative too, right? Um, Brisbane uh, as a whole has become a much more expensive market. It's pretty much neck and neck at this point with the median dwelling across Melbourne. Um, mm. So both Brisbane and Melbourne are sitting at just under 780000 Having said that, um, you can get a lot more bang for your buck when it comes to the size of the property that you would get in Brisbane for that amount of money compared to Melbourne, which uh, has a lot more units as a portion of its stock overall. Mm. Sydney, of course, remains extremely unaffordable with a median dwelling value across the greater metropolitan of 1.2 million. And we estimate that the time needed to save a 20% deposit across Sydney would be 12.6 years. Um, it's a lot lower in Brisbane. Even for local incomes, we estimate the median household would require 9.7 years. Still a long time. But when you consider a Sydney income against a typical dwelling value for Brisbane and the same for Melbourne, I think that explains a lot of our interstate migration trend, which is essentially people moving from the southern states to southeast Queensland Um and I think affordability is probably a big part of that. Mm, affordability, lifestyle. I mean, who wouldn't want to live in the great southeast and enjoy some of these hot summer days that we have? But you've touched on um, some interesting things then, uh, specifically in relation to that trend where a lot of buyers from other states have been relocating to Brisbane. Is there anything within the data that you have access to that also shows the proportion of interstate investors that may be spending the investment dollar in Brisbane. You may or may not have access to this sort of more granular data, but obviously when people are priced out of their own local market, they may choose to rent fest, that is rent in the location that they are living, but invest elsewhere. Is there anything that you're seeing in data trends that shows there's been an uptick in the number of people from those higher income earning areas that may be investing into Brisbane or Southeast Queensland as a whole? I mean, I think it's a educated guess when we're inferring those kinds of trends because we don't necessarily have the data that looks at where buyers are, are looking at what properties. But you can see a very strong uplift in investment activity through ABS housing finance data throughout the year. Um, nationally, owner-occupier finance has grown about 14% from where it bottomed out in February to the end of October. Um, the uplift in investment activity has been closer to 24%. Mm -hmm. So even though investors generally make up a 
smaller part of the market overall. They've been growing more rapidly. And that's very true of states like Queensland, WA, South Australia. There's been a very strong investment growth trend there as well. And, and so that data will be referring to investment properties purchased in those states. Um, the other thing we see is an ongoing strength in the um, interstate migration trend. So it did peak annually at about 50,000 people through, I think it was 2021, through the COVID period. Um, but it's still very high. In the year to March 2023, internal migration to Queensland was at 31,000. So um, that's well above pre-COVID levels, of course. And although it's down from a peak, it's still very elevated. On top of that, we've now got the return of overseas migration. And what's really been, I think, the big growth driver for markets like Queensland, WA and, and South Australia is that they're in a state where they've got both positive interstate migration and overseas migration. So Queensland, the net overseas migration position is sitting at 70,000 in the year to March. So, you know, when when that's nearly 100,000 people added to the population through internal and overseas migration trends in that year. And when you think about how that stacks up to, you know, dwelling completions and, and the listings that are coming to market, you just, you've got an absolute fundamental mismatch in the supply and demand of property. It's really interesting and we talk a lot or there has been a lot of talk rather in the media about forced selling and yet we haven't seen evidence of forced selling. You mentioned 70,000 new international migrants coming into Queensland. The number of people that therefore demand housing, um, quite often they'll they'll move into the rental market first and then potentially look to purchase. But um, I'd love to talk about the rental market shortly. But if we're just looking at those supply and demand metrics from a purchasing perspective, we were told to expect forced selling when all of these people came off the back of these fixed interest rates and they were rolling into the variable rates often at you know 3 or 4% more than than where they were fixed so there was a lot of talk about people not being able to afford to hold their properties um no one wants to see a forced seller however knowing how critically low the inventory levels have been across Brisbane we had almost expected to see that something might become of that to increase the number of properties that are available for sale because obviously the buyer demand is there. However, we simply haven't seen this. Is there any perspective that you can provide as to why this has not eventuated? Yeah, so I guess first of all, it's very hard to tell when there is an increase in for sale. Throughout the second half of 2023, we did see an increase in the flow of new listings to market, but that also could have been because selling conditions were really good. Mm. We've also seen a particularly high portion of what we would call short-term resales. Um, so throughout uh, 2023 or, or the year to August 2023 to be exact, um, we saw a sizable uplift in the portion of properties that were selling within a whole period of three years or less. Um, very prominent across parts of Queensland as well, like Wide Bay, Cairns. Um, but this also could have been a reflection of, again, strong capital growth or even a reversal of that kind of sea change, tree change trend that we saw mm -hmm. through COVID. When we look at the kind of... Um, 
broader financial environment and, and financial stability, there's very little to imply that there's been elevated risk as a result of people transitioning from their low fixed rates to high variable. Uh, the overall arrears rate of outstanding credit, uh, which is updated to September this year, shows that just 1.3% of outstanding housing payments came in late. And that's actually below the levels we saw at the onset of the pandemic. So risk seems very contained. And those who maybe did make the decision to sell because of issues with mortgage serviceability would probably have sold at a very large profit and therefore been able to service their debt through that kind of proactive sale. Now, uh, so that rise in home values is one thing that really de-risked the housing market. Another uh, set of factors has just been very tight labour market conditions, which have allowed people to work more hours if they need to do that to keep up with rising mortgage costs or very strong savings buffers which uh, the household savings rate got to a high of around 20% through the COVID period. The historic average is about 8%. Mm-hmm. Um, and the latest GDP data does suggest that people have been eating into their flow of savings to deal with the higher cost of living. So the household savings rate as of the latest GDP data was only at about 1%. So in other words, people are working more, people are saving less and putting it towards their mortgage. Um, They have big mortgage buffers still through the pandemic um, and the tight labour market has sort of helped to underpin all of that. So that means that this kind of fixed mortgage cliff narrative that that we were anticipating to, you know, play out as potentially risky, that really hasn't happened. Hmm. Interesting. I'd like to um, now reflect back on where we were back in January, February this year, I know on the ground here in Brisbane, we were reporting in our podcast, we've seen a shift in sentiment on the ground. People came back after that Christmas New Year period. There were more buyers in the market. There still wasn't a lot of stock. And we started to see buyers stretch that little bit more. We started to see the prices that were achieved uh, be be a little escalated based on what we were seeing in the latter months of 2022. And of course, by March, that was starting to come through in the core logic data in that both house values and unit values were on the rise and not just on the rise, but aggressively rising month to month as you've specified or or referred to earlier. What do you think caused that turn? Was it just that people felt more confident that interest rates had reached their peak or that they were close to their peak or was it something different that was occurring at that time? I think there is a very psychological element where property values will fall by a certain amount that people are willing to start buying into the market again. Um, so I think St. George, um, uh, the economist Besadita has done a little bit of work on this and came up with a number for Sydney that was like a peak to tr- a trough of about 15% before people would, would be confident in um, buying the dip. Um, So I'm sure something similar would have played out for the Brisbane market. The turn that we noticed in um, the rate of decline, so even where the rate of decline started to shrink, pretty much coincides with July of 2022, which is when we fully reopened the borders to vaccinated and non-vaccinated arrivals post-COVID. So probably the return of migration having something to do with that as well. and as well as that, the ongoing tightness in the rental market, I think, is something that's uh, attracted quite a bit of investment activity. Was that was that a surprise? Do you think the, the big turnaround, a lot of the 
I know we went through to that big low and then to pick up. Was that a surprise, do you think? Did, did you expect that? No, it was a surprise because historically when we've looked at housing market trends, there's been what you would call an inverse relationship between cash rates and asset values. So the higher the cost of debt, uh, generally the lower the demand for borrowing and, and so your asset values go down. There have been periods of time where property values and the cash rate have moved together and it did coincide with periods of strong population growth. So as we got more data on the population story, I think that was a clear um, factor in putting upward pressure. The other trend we've seen though is that it is wealthier participants in the market at the moment because of high interest rates, because of credit constraints. There have been less, um, at least nationally, first home buy-ins. Fewer new loans written with a deposit of less than 20%. Uh, and so it is wealthier buyers, but they're also targeting a more um, uh, affordable part of town yep. or, or where they can get more value for money. Do you think those wealthier buyers are more mature? And I'm saying that with the utmost respect. More mature people um, <laughs> perhaps have been through higher interest rate cycles previously. Those that have only ever purchased in the last 10 or 11 years may have only experienced interest rates that were declining up until the most recent rate, rate hike that started in 2022. Do you think that experience or maturity, um, or let's call it what it is, age, has anything to do with the fact that some of these wealthier people might have been less fearful knowing that they've been in markets where interest rates were higher previously? Potentially. I mean, I hadn't really thought about that psychological aspect of it, that they may be less fearful of a high interest rate environment. I do think that there's probably older participants because they're making good profits from resale and are therefore less dependent on credit when they go to buy another property. So downsizers, for example, uh, I, I would have thought would be a big uh, contributing factor as well. I'm not a downsizer, but I'm thinking Melinda had a bit of a dig there with me with the age thing. And going back to when I was having talk about interest rates and I always talk about how I um, the first property I bought was about 18, 19%. So oh. I keep saying that I think interest rates are cheap. Uh, sorry, are low and money is pretty cheap at the moment. But we'll call it... Um, We'll call it experience. How about that? <laughs> yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I'm someone who bought a first home last year and I think interest rates seem high to me, but just because of the relative size of, of the debt that I've taken out as well. So, mm. you know, I think um, I, I agree that um, inherently, like if you look at the history of interest rates, they are relatively low. Um, but I guess the counter to that is that the property prices we pay nowadays are, are much higher too. So the interest cost is a lot more expensive yeah. um, overall. I'd like to just touch on the rental market, if I may, because we've talked about that off the back of this record international migration and into southeast Queensland also, this record interstate migration. And we talk about the fact that typically most people relocating initially will rent before they buy. Some people certainly, you know, with our services, we know there's a lot of people that will buy straight into the market, but the majority potentially would rent. As a result of that, we've seen this huge surge in rental price growth, uh, especially 
in southeast Queensland over the last 18 months or so. And I know this is a national trend now. Unit market, I believe, on an annual basis, Brisbane units are sitting in second place behind Perth. Um, In the housing market, I believe rental price growth in Brisbane has slipped out of the top couple of places. And I believe it is Melbourne and Perth in those top two places from memory. Anyway, um, why do you think we're seeing those... um, you know, the the rental markets, the growth in, in the housing market here in Brisbane start to slow down. Is that relative to affordability or is it something else? First of all, I just want to say your stats recall is incredible, Melinda. I'm looking at the graphs right now and you're exactly right. So the annual change in rent values for Brisbane is um, just behind Perth, sitting at 13% year on year which is huge. Mm. Um, and the annual growth in the house segment is kind of middle of the range sitting at 6.5%. Yep. So both segments have seen a slight easing in the pace of growth, but it's been more prominent in the house segment. Um, I would attribute part of that to the different phases of growth in the rental market. The COVID rent boom was very much about uh, people working from home, people taking on larger properties on their rental lease Mm -hmm. because they had higher income levels through um, pandemic payments from government, um, you know, highest peacetime stimulus that that we've ever seen for households. So basically higher incomes earlier on through the pandemic enabled people to take on house leases. Um, I think there's been an erosion of affordability in the house rent market, which has then led to that easing in, in the pace of annual growth. More recently, the, the for lack of a better term, second wave in rent value growth was really concentrated in the unit segment, which is why unit rent growth has generally been much higher recently. So that's because it was largely driven by the return in overseas migration And overseas migrants tend to flow through to areas that are higher density because they're closer to work, education. Um, It could also be that we're seeing more of a deferral from relatively expensive rental properties, which would presumably be from houses um, to more affordable segments of the market like units. Yeah, and I think that's a similar trend that, you know, perhaps we saw off the back of the COVID price boom, you know, houses went first and then that was followed by units. And then obviously in the downturn, houses really took the majority of the the pain in terms of negative uh, price movements in median values, whereas units were, it was a much softer landing and units didn't come off much at all. And in fact, in the markets that we're very active in, in the inner city markets of Brisbane, particularly in blue chip locations, I'd argue that we hardly saw a downturn at all, especially in that unit and townhouse market. We actually saw a surge in demand because as people, you rightly pointed out, people decided to um, focus more on the convenience of location as opposed to the convenience of space. And so people were drawn back to inner city locations, especially as COVID became more of a thing of the past. And I'm not Mm -hmm. suggesting that COVID is no longer with us. I I believe there's a new wave that's uh, coming through people at the moment, but we've learned to live with the pandemic and more and more employers are calling their staff back into offices, which are typically located in the higher density or CBD areas of the city. So people are now opting more for some um, convenience of lifestyle as opposed to space, um, which was easier 
for people when they didn't have to commute every single day. And we know in Brisbane the commute times can be horrendous when you're not relying on public transport. So it's always something that we discuss on on this podcast. I know, Eliza, people in Queensland, especially Brisbane, have always loved the, the house with the big block of land, you know, the fence and they play cricket in the backyard, things like that. You talked about getting bang for your buck in Brisbane compared to, say, um, Sydney, Melbourne and those areas. And we've always, as I said, we've always talked about that. Why is it such a change, I think? And we've talked about this probably a couple of years ago on our podcast about watching the unit market. And we've seen the unit market outperform housing. Is it is it affordability? I mean, why do you think that sort of has really taken over from the housing market and performed well? I think the other thing to remember about the unit market is that there was a time where it didn't really move much. So mm. I think it is just the relative cheapness of, you, you, not that it's, yeah, maybe that's not the, the nicest term for it, but I think uh, there was almost a bit of catch-up in in growth because people saw the unit segment of Brisbane as a bit undervalued mm. by the time we'd been through that that sort of big COVID boom. Mm, absolutely. And I think there was a big price disparity, especially in those blue chip locations between an entry-level unit and a high-end home. We were talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of difference or even, you know, millions of dollars of difference. And I think people jumped to that opportunity and, um, you know, we're still seeing those inner city markets, you know, move strongly and that buyer depth is is very uh, deep, sometimes 15 to 20 people. There was one, I think, in, yeah. in an inner city blue chip location. There were 30 offers 30 on the offers. property on a, a two-bedroom, one-bathroom, single lock-up, a garage unit. So it just wow. goes to show the level yeah. of demand for that type of product still in today's market. Mm. I'm um, just looking at some of the data that we have on the median difference, oh, sorry, the difference between a median house and unit across our different capital cities as well. And through the COVID period, Brisbane peaked where the house segment was sitting almost 80% higher. Mm. So the median house sitting almost 80% higher than the median unit. That was the biggest difference of the capital cities. So that would explain a big catch up in capital growth in units more recently. The difference has now narrowed to about 57%. So the the sort of um, gap between the two is narrowing, but gosh, it's still really, really high. 80% 80% and what, at what time was that recorded? That, that was in April of 2022. So that would have been at the peak of the market. Yeah, that's that's not surprising to us. I think we called it in January, February 2022 and said, look, watch out for this unit market in Brisbane because we're starting to see that demand mm-hmm. shift towards a more affordable segment. So um, kudos to those that uh, may have put their money where we were recommending at that time. They've come away with some strong equity in that, that those couple of years. Eliza, we always, we always like to ask this question. What are your predictions for Brisbane going forward, say for 2024? I'm not going to lie, and I may um, have not learned from lessons of the past, but I do see a little bit of a slowdown coming into 24 just because like I say, I think there's a psychological aspect to the nature of, of the rate hiking cycle um, and, and kind of a hawkish tone that we've gotten from the RBA through the month. I'm not convinced that we've seen the last rate hike either, um, but the 25 basis point increase in the cash rate through November already seems to have slowed growth nationally and it has had a marginal impact in Brisbane as well which was trending at you know a two percent growth rate mid 2023 
that's now eased to about 1.3%. Mm. So just following that trajectory to its logical kind of trend at the moment, I'd expect a further slowdown in growth through the start of the year. Having said that, that's the very short-term outlook. Uh, we know that the city is still critically undersupplied when it comes to both the construction of new dwellings and the listings that are coming onto the market. Um, the population growth position is still incredibly strong, even if it's eased since COVID. And uh, you've got a lot of a, a lot to look forward to. You know, the the Olympic Games, um, that kind of continued growth and investment in the city over over the years will um, not only put the city on the map, but I think be a real kind of um, transformation from an infrastructure perspective as well. So long term, I think things are looking very bright for the Sunshine State. Perfect. Wonderful. And look, you know, we don't, um, we always like to, to ask people what their perspective is on, on the prediction. But as we know, most economists get it wrong. Um, there's not many people that, that do get it right. So, you know, we're not going to come back and, and say, hey, Eliza, you were so right. Or, hey, Eliza, you were so wrong. Uh, that's not <laughs> what we do. It's always just good to ask people what their crystal ball scenario is so that we can, you know, jump into your mind as well. Because, Different commentators um, have different opinions about, you know, what may or may not happen. And of course, when we are predicting forward, um, we're also we're always um, reminded of the fact that there's so many variables that come into play when it um, when we determine what direction property markets will will take. You know, we don't know what's happening on an international level. We don't really know the direction of interest rates. There's commentary that they may have reached their peak. Um, your opinion is that they may have you know, some more lifting to do. Others are suggesting that we may see rate cuts as early as March or May next year. So the truth is no one really knows the future. And what we can look at is the supply and demand metrics. And of course, being on the ground on a week by week basis really helps us to understand what are we seeing in terms of supply, what new listings are coming through. Uh, Long-term supply through construction is very difficult to uh, rely upon because that's in the long-term future. So we're looking at what's available today and how many buyers are out on the ground. And typically that tells us what the data is going to show two months from today, because generally when there's a depth of buyers and not enough properties for sale, there's that FOMO that continues to lift prices um, in the future. Alternatively, if we start to see people um, getting through open homes without lining up, then we might indicate that might indicate, sorry, that uh, things are slowing down on the ground and then we'll expect um, you know, neutral growth on a month by month basis when that starts to happen. So it's all very interesting. And um, we love to get your input, especially from a data perspective, because it's great to overlay that with what we're seeing on the ground. Well, I, that's been fantastic. Eliza, thank you so much again for taking the time out to have a chat to us. Um, I know we caught up down in Sydney at the uh, the PIPA conference during the year and we had a chat then, but it's always great to have you back on our podcast. And I'm sure our listeners love the information that you share with them as well. So thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me. And we will um, we'll get you back on again, no doubt. Hopefully not too far apart. Let, let's not leave the gap between you know, August 22 to now, um, a long time between chatting. So um, thank you very much again. I will let Melinda wrap it up as we normally do. Um, hopefully everyone enjoyed that episode and we will talk again next week. So thanks very much and bye for now. Thank you once again, Eliza, for joining us today. Your insights have been amazing and we really appreciate your time. Thank you.
As always, uh, we hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. If you will um, leave us a review, we would be very grateful. And don't forget to share this podcast episode with your friends and family. Hit that subscribe button so you don't hit uh, miss any future episodes as well. Until next week, we wish you uh, all the best and we will speak to you again soon. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.